I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Seifu. Monday evening, July 18th, 2022. That's the date. And that day, today, is the day after the Jeff Petrie trade. I know sometimes we've been going in chronological order the way we talk about things, but I feel like in this instance, perhaps it's appropriate to start with what's freshest. Of course, we'll wind our way back throughout the week to all the signings and other trades, and even all the way back to the the Matt Murray trade, which was materializing during our last episode, but we haven't even gotten the chance to speak about yet. But we're going to start with what I truly think is the worst trade of the offseason so far. No, never mind. There, there was a Pacioretty trade. That one was that one was worse. There's a lot to choose from, as every year. Um, but I was already kind of skeptical of Kent Hughes as a GM after he sort of kind of, I think it's fair to say, big-brained the Uri Slavkovsky first overall pick. And this is, congratulations, Kent Hughes, your first downright miserable decision that you've made at the helm. Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling for Michael Matheson and a fourth-round pick. I, I, I was... I was expecting a better return for Jeff Petrie than this, obviously. I thought there would be, I don't, I wasn't expecting like a first and a prospect or something. But when it was, you know, it was announced by Elliot Friedman that it's Pittsburgh, I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe like a second round pick, maybe like Nathan Lagare or so, someone like that, some kind of mid tier prospect, because I know Jeff Petrie's value isn't at its greatest. But. Michael Matheson is a defenseman who has been a liability for his entire career until this season. So very best case scenario, Kent Hughes is uh, buying high on this player. And worst case scenario, he regresses back to his liability form for four years at a nearly $5 million AAV. Now, I've already started the show with a two-minute rant on it, and I have more to say, but I'll, I'll pass the torch off to you to, for now. Okay. Well, all you need to know about Michael Matheson is if you look back in our podcast history, there's an episode called Michael Batheson because he's bad. Uh, and yeah, everybody was like surprised by how well, how well he played this year, but that's the thing. It's only one year for Michael and past performance shows. Uh, you know, the, this contract that was he was given is an absolute joke. And I cannot believe they've kind of tied themselves to this contract for the next four years. But you know, just a, that that in itself is a crime. Uh, but, you know, just asset, the, the value that they got for Jeff Petrie, who's, you know, teetering. He had a bad season. Let's not kid ourselves. And was perhaps teetering into worrisome contract uh, and perhaps a burden territory. He still had value. And you talk about selling high uh, or buying high, as high as you could possibly buy for Michael Matheson, or you're like selling super low on Jeff Petrie at this point. Um, you know? This is it's just it, it seems like classic like you're 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 doing the opposite of what you should be doing. You're buying high, selling low. That's how you lose. Not only that, um, for for that potential you know downgrade at defenseman, you only get a fourth round pick. Plus you you give up Ryan Paling, who's like fine. You give up on him as a first round pick. Clearly that didn't work out. Um, but you know he's a solid depth forward, and so to have those two together, Petrie and him, um, and you get just an absolutely miserable return. And Michael May, it's an absolute, it's a joke that he can be seen as an asset. And uh, it's it's bonkers as they bought on this guy. Did you know that Kent Hughes used to be Michael Matheson's agent? And if not, <laughs> does that surprise you? <laughs> oh my God. That explains a lot, doesn't it? 
That explains okay, a yeah, whole it, lot. Yep. It certainly does. And so all the reports, everyone was saying like, uh, in this negotiation, uh, Kent Hughes really was targeting Michael Matheson. Fuck the Penguins it, didn't want to give him up, but he insisted oh, that that piece God. be included. And now, now that, of course, you know, explains a lot as well. But here, let's try to look at this. Best case scenario for Montreal. Say Michael Matheson maintains this level of play for the next four years and he's worth the contract. And he's honestly, if he plays the way he did last year for Pittsburgh, he is going to be Montreal's number one defenseman, which more so goes to show the miserable state of uh, that group of six than anything. Um, But say it works out well for Montreal. What that means is basically... You you have a log jam waiting to happen on defense, especially at left defense. You know that's the the strength of Montreal's pipeline with Caden uh, Gooley, Jaden Strubel, Matthias Norlander, a bunch of other names I'm, I'm probably forgetting. Uh, Michael Matheson is probably just going to become an obstacle at some point, which leads us to even in our best case scenario, we come back to the question of why would you target Michael Matheson instead of futures, instead of draft picks prospects of any kind because you're a rebuilding team michael matheson clearly doesn't line up with your contention window even if he you know were to play well and matheson clearly had value for both you and for pittsburgh so recoup that value in a different way not in a roster player yeah absolutely smart thing to do yeah just completely bizarre doesn't make any sense shows a complete lack of direction to acquire somebody with such a cap hit at such an age, um, and you think you know you see him as a positive asset value, that's nuts. You're rebuilding. This team stinks. This is not the time to be acquired. This is like uh, who was it? The Travis Hamannick trade. The, you know the Ottawa Senators acquired Travis Hamannick for like a third round pick. Like this kind of gives the same vibes in that it's like why are you acquiring this guy for you know for assets or or you know you're 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 giving up potentially. There's an opportunity cost involved with the assets that you're getting. And instead you focus in on Michael Matheson. And this is a weird fixation on the guy, which I don't understand. Um, and you can only understand apparently if you were his agent, um, because Cause he's a, such a good guy and he's <laughs> from Montreal and he's great in the locker room. Great friend, John Rennie high school alumnus, Michael Matheson. Wow. Special. Welcome home, Mikey. <laughs> um, yeah. Yay. It's a terrible trade. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Just, just flat out F minus for Kent Hughes. Just completely lost, lost the plot. See, it's funny because from the Montreal perspective, we're like, wow, major loss. And from Pittsburgh's perspective, many of their fans seem to be seeing this as a major <laughs> loss as well for reasons I can kind of wrap my head around. Um, I get it. But ba- basically, you know, they're kind of. What I imagine is they see Michael Matheson, who was really on the upswing this year, and they're like, great, good player. And they see Jeff Petrie as a generally downward trending player, and they go, oh, why are we getting him? That That's a part of it, despite the fact that Jeff Petrie is still better than Michael Matheson. That, that's a part of it that I understand. Another part that I understand is Pittsburgh had made a trade a few hours prior in which they traded uh, John Marino, a great young defensive defenseman, for Ty Smith, who kind of took a step back this season, and a third rounder. So, Jeff Petrie is definitely a less valuable asset than John Marino. You could even argue a downgrade immediately, with how, depending on how much of a John Marino fan you are. 
So when you look at the big picture for the the present day lineup for the Penguins to lose Marino and Matheson and bring in Ty Smith and Jeff Petrie, I can see how some Penguins fans might be a little so-so about that as a whole. Yeah, I get it. Because, you know, that Marino trade at the end of the day, right? Maybe they see the upside in Ty Smith and they think it can really, you know, bring him back. And they got a third round pick too. But at the end of the day, you know, that trade was about clearing cap because John Marino had what, like four and a half million dollars in cap and Ty Smith is under a million dollars. And so you cleared like three and a half million dollars in cap space there. And it seems like, you know, you're potentially spending like, you know, what is it? The difference in cap hit between Matheson and Petrie is like, what, $2 million. Um, so you're spending most of that savings. Less. Um, okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Right. So like almost, 1.4 one, or one and a half, one and a half. Um, so you're spending that difference uh, or half of that difference on downgrade, you know, if you if you think Matheson's on the up and up and whatnot, um, it's taking a risk for sure. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I could see how it could go wrong for the Penguins. Um, so we might have ourselves a, a lose-lose trade here, honestly, um, If you, especially if you combine for Pittsburgh, uh, the two trades and, and considering the cap implications there. Yeah, uh, I'm... I'm still a believer in Ty Smith to a certain extent. And I think it does kind of feel like Pittsburgh is trying to walk the line of, oh, we got to get a little younger with this Marino Smith trade. But we also have to try to win now. So we'll replace John Marino effectively with uh, Jeff Petrie. And that mixed messaging, I can understand why it can be very frustrating. But now after that cap clearing move and then acquiring Petrie is slightly more expensive. Uh, cap friendly lists current cap space at about $2.7 million. And the only RFA they have left unsigned, notably, is Kasperi Kapanen, who, despite coming off an incredibly disappointing 11-goal season in nearly 82 79 games, uh, is still probably going to get more than that. So they may... Well, actually, I've some... okay, with Cap Friendly in their current cap space, sometimes it's confusing because like, you put some fringe player on waivers and the problem is solved. Uh, but either way, they're they're very up and close to the cap. Yeah, uh, but let's talk about, should we move on to uh, why they're so up to the cap? They re-signed a bunch of players, um, notably. Oh. Uh, we have, uh, we got they re-signed Malkin and uh, Latang, both to, what, so at $6.1 million, they gave Malkin four years, Latang six, uh, and they also, what, signed Ricard Raquel to a six-year, $5 million deal. Um, so yeah, we can start, we can go chronologically. The Latang deal came first. I don't know if did we talk about. It? I feel like it was close um, to our last. I don't episode. think we did. Okay. Um, yeah. So six years, six point one mil. He's thirty five right now, so it's instantly a thirty five plus contract. Uh, you know, I I get what they're doing. You know, it's it's the it's the all in with with the final last legs of Sidney Crosby and the gang. But so in that respect, I get it. But Squizzlet, you know, it's just too much money for too long for this aging asset who only really brings value at one side of the ice. This contract will end up on LTIR. I'm so certain of it. I've never been more certain of any deal going on LTIR in my life. Uh, or he's just going to retire in four years because, uh, or th- or three years because that's when the salary kind of well, it doesn't it doesn't dive off that much actually. Uh, never mind. I was looking at oh, the bonuses and the base salary, all these things. LTIR, probably the much more likely one. Malkin, of course, we were all 
all the fuss was, oh, why aren't they going to give him a fourth year? Oh, and then he said, oh, I'm testing free agency, which is usually code for I'm leaving. And I was like, oh, Malkin's going to leave. Malkin's going to leave. Night before free agency, Pittsburgh says, fine, we'll give you the fourth year. And he goes, great, I'm staying. 6.1 feels so low for Evgeny Malkin to give him the same AAV as Chris Letang. I'm sorry, Malkin is a much more important, much better straight up player than Chris Letang. He has been hovering around or well over a point, obviously at some points in his career, well over a point a game. Even this year, played half the season, 41 games, over a point per game. Only two years ago, he had 74 points in 55 games. He still produces at a star level as your second line center. And he should have been able to command much more than 6.1 million in the open market and probably could have. So I know this was perceived as Pittsburgh lowballing with the term and finally caving. They still got an absolute major win, I think, on both term and AAP. Yeah, I think it goes to show just how badly Balkan wanted to stay. Uh, and when he said, oh, I'm going to test the market, I think, well, have, did you see some of, the, some of the quotes that came out? Um, like, he, like, they, they really, it seems like they really insulted Malkin, um, to the point where he was like, he wasn't like angry. He felt like he was like sad about it. Uh, like I saw the quote, I think it was an athletic piece. Uh, he was telling people that the Penguins don't think he's good anymore. Uh, and, and shit like that. Yeah, that was the exact quote, which is like <laughs> crazy, <laughs> insane. Um, so, Leave. you know, I, I would have left. Right. But I think he's just that attached to the franchise. And, you know, they were, I think the offer was so insultingly low that, you know, he just, he was, he, you know, he, he felt like he had no other option, perhaps. They wouldn't give him that fourth year. But at the end of the day, I think he just really wanted to stay in Pittsburgh. Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, well, we see, you know, there was like some, probably some tampering going around. Uh, we saw a lot of these numbers, especially for like, you know, like Kemper or Campbell, uh, where it seemed like the team and the, the contract was already set before July 13th. Um, you'd assume that, you know, the agent would have probably, you know, put out some feelers, uh, different teams. What what could they possibly, you know, offer for Malkin? And I assume it's, you know, significantly higher than $6.1 million, especially for, you know, for talking to a team that's rebuilding, uh, needs a veteran like him. But I think he just, he picked Pittsburgh at the end of the day. It's very funny to me that after Sidney Crosby, the second biggest AAV on the Penguins is Jeff Petrie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, it's funny. There we go. At 6.25. Uh, yeah. And I mean, on Jeff Petrie, you know, he was he was awesome in several years and on like a second pair role. Also kind of a number two defenseman role, though, just even though he was on the second pair. And this year with such a terrible like first half he had, a lot of that was with Shea Weber gone, such a big burden on his shoulders, as well as the fact that there were no other good defensemen on the entire team, pretty much. I think putting him back in that second slot behind Chris Letang, probably also next to a decent player like Marcus Pedersen or maybe even Ty Smith, I think that's a great environment for him to to bounce back even at age 34. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, you're right. There was, there was just absolutely nobody on that decor to play with him uh, in Montreal. So yeah, the, the last contract that they signed, they actually signed it before they signed Malkin, uh, was the Ricard Raquel deal. And man, that's like a, I, I feel like they could have put their money in a better spot. Uh, they yeah. Were, oh, yeah no. like He's six 29. years, $5 million for, for a winger who's really just, you know, a middle six guy. He's okay. He doesn't really drive play. Um, and you know, they brought him into play with Malkin. They signed him before Malkin. Uh, I don't really see 
the appeal at this term and and this annual value when they're really trying to go for it, you can go for it with with better players than Ricard Raquel. I feel like I I'm you I might not be totally accurate with the timing of things, but it is possible that you know Malkin's in these negotiations, and the team's like, oh, we're gonna give you six point one times three, and he's like, no, I want more. And they're like, we're going to give Ricard Raquel like five by five. And he's like, are you kidding me? Or six by five. And that might have been the moment he was like, fine, I'm leaving. Of course, that ended up not happening. But yeah, that, that was, it, there was such, a, appeared to be such a dissonance between Evgeny Malkin, we're not giving you more than three years. Ricard Raquel here have six years. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's all, it's all upside down. It makes you, makes you question what Brian Burke's doing a bit there. Uh, but, I mean, this is it. This is the team. Like, as you said, this is everybody's kind of signed. Uh, it's just Kapanen that's left. They they managed to fit everybody under the cap. Um, and they're going for it, apparently. So, you know, this is this is your final product. I can't say it inspires <laughs> much confidence at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, even another team that's trying to go for it to a different degree is uh, the team that made a trade with the Penguins and acquiring Ooh. John Marino for Ty Smith. Ba 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 boom. Uh, oh. Let's talk about the Devils briefly, especially because uh, the most notable thing they did, uh, besides whiffing on Goudreau, was saying, "All right, fine, we'll go get Andre Palat then, thirty-one-year-old Andre Palat for five years, six million per year," and of course. Add that to an offseason that has included acquiring John Marino for Ty Smith to acquiring Vitek Vanacek uh, along with the draft pick for draft picks to acquiring Eric Howla for Pavel Zaka for some reason and uh, signing Brendan Smith. Any big takeaways on, on the Devils? Yeah, I mean, Palat seems like your, your classic free agent overpay. He's too old. You're giving him $6 million. You know, he's a nice piece on a contender. He's not a guy who's going to, like, really drive shit on your first line. On You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's you know, five years from now, he's going to be fine for the first couple of years. You're like, oh, yeah, Andre Palat's on the Devils now. He's he's producing all right. Uh, but it's just, you know, if they do manage to get everything together uh, and, you know, a lot of these prospects take their steps forward, not even prospects, but it's just their core, um, whether, you know, it's like obviously Hughes, Sure, and basically all the other high draft picks that they've kind of had. Um, you're going to be looking at that contract and being going like, oof, I wish this wasn't on our books. Um, so, you know, it feels like, you know, they needed to make a move. Uh, like, uh, oh, we need to improve, take a step forward. We need to maybe try to be in the playoff bubble this year. And so we're going to go out and get this this guy who was good on the Tampa Bay Lightning and give him way too much money uh, for, for too long. It's it, that's, that's the vibe here. Ill-advised, I would say. Yeah, in my mind, the Palat deal was, oh, yeah, they gave him, like, a 5 million AV, 5 by 5 Oh, that's fine. I had gotten it mixed up. It's a 6 million AV. Uh, yes, definitely an overpay. And I don't think it's just... Uh, uh, I think another big reason that this overpay happened is because of recency bias and how great he was in the playoffs. 21 points in 23 games. Basically, like, the highest uh, s- s- clip he scored at in a stretch in his entire career. Because you look at his, ba- his past few regular seasons... He hasn't hit 20 goals since 2013-14. And there were some, you know, shortened seasons in there and stuff. But he scored to, like, around or below a 20-goal pace, uh, like, pretty much all the time lately, which is not the type of player you want to give $6 million to. 
and I don't think they're expecting him to to drive play. I think they're probably, you know, saying, "Hey, go play on the top line with Jack Hughes, who's obviously gonna do most of the work." Um, and they're hoping that Hughes and and Jesper Bratt or something, or Hughes and Alexander Holtz can be the point and Kucherov to Palat's Andre Palat. Um, which, if you're hoping for that, a those players aren't as good as Point and Kucherov probably. And uh, you can probably get the third most important player slash complimentary piece on that line for cheaper. Yeah, absolutely. If It feels like what he brings is completely replaceable and you don't have to go out and spend $30 million on this. Uh, yeah, it just it, it feels like you can you can acquire that asset in a better way uh, and, and with better cap allocation. Um, so yeah, that's that's the Devils and they really didn't do also, much that, oh, Yeah. Well, the Eric Holla trade, that, this one had me scratching my head because you really just you don't like Pavel Zaka that yeah. much that you're going to trade him for the maybe slightly better player who is significantly older and also in the final year of a contract and is about to be a UFA. Really? Yeah. Feels strange. Eh? Like, like, like the return. I mean, if you're going to give up on Pavel Zaka, maybe try to get some futures. I don't know what Eric Holla really brings to this team moving forward. So, yeah, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's also kind of similar to, you know, the Islanders a few years ago after John Tavares left and they had all this leftover cap space. Ulemaro was like, fine, we'll go sign Valtteri Filipula and Leo Komarov and use all our money that way. Similar, obviously, Palat's better than those those players, but it's the same thing. You know, we thought we were going to get Gaudreau. We gave it our best shot. Oh, I guess we'll go get the fourth or fifth next best thing in Andre Palat. Uh, which brings us to Johnny Gaudreau, which was, uh, most people would say, the most interesting development of the day. For me, that was the maneuverings of the Hurricanes. But anyway, Johnny Gaudreau, of course, shocked the world by going to Columbus, the Blue Jackets. And obviously, you know, everyone's going, why? What What? Happened? Why does he want to go to the Blue Jackets? And I think most of that confusion just comes from the fact that we didn't see it coming. Like most of the time, when a play, even like a great player signs in a place, everyone's like uh everyone had seen it coming and so like oh yeah they're not like asking for reasons or anything with Gaudreau it was he's gonna stay in Calgary or he's gonna go to like New Jersey or the Islanders or the Flyers and the fact that everyone was so shocked at Columbus I don't think is necessarily as much of an indictment why would you want to go to Columbus as it is just a team that no one was linking to Gaudreau yeah just kind of absolutely out of nowhere right uh it's like he wanted uh to be even closer to I guess his family um, and so they were talking about like Philly and New Jersey. Um, and yeah, nobody kind of came up with a plan C uh, for, for like, if he was going to leave, where would he go? And nobody was talking about Columbus. So yeah. And, and it's part of it is also like that cap hit, right? Like it's $9.75 million. That is lower than he could have definitely had in other places. It is way lower, both in term and money that he couldn't, he could have gotten from Calgary. Um, and apparently even lower than what, you know, like the blue jackets initially offered. Uh, he took a pay cut so they could go and pay Eric Goodbranson some more money. Um, yeah, I, he just, I guess he really wanted to be there. I don't understand the whole pay cut bit. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, Philly sounds like Philly was never interested and that's to their detriment um, because, you know, they're fucking clowning around. What do they do? They signed Nick Deloria to like a four-year contract. <laughs> and like, yeah. that's all they did. What an absolute train wreck. Um, and, and Justin so, Braun. Uh, don't forget. Um and don't that forget that they bought player. out Oscar Lindblom. 
they really need I'm that cap out. space right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, just instead, what they went out and acquired Tony D'Angelo. That's a that's a better use of the cap space. Um, oh yeah, a hundred percent. But I think you know, I, I guess New Jersey. Maybe the, you know, I haven't heard that they were completely committed to this. And yeah, maybe he just like for Johnny Gaudreau, he wanted to go to New Jersey, he wanted to go to Philly, didn't really work out, and so it was like fuck it. And he called, called he had his agent call Columbus, had him put it together, and bang, there you go. Like it sounds like they really it came together super quick. Um, from like everything that Yarmulkekalina has said, um, like you know, like he was. Like they were, he was out in a press conference, you know, talking about Eric Goodbranson as a thing, right? Like, and so would you be holding a press conference for Eric Goodbranson if you had a press conference for Johnny Goodrow coming up? Probably not. So, yeah, just spur of the moment kind of vibes. And it sounds like for Goodrow, it was his plan C. Yeah, I think there was a report, you know, people talking about today. Oh, it's down to the Devils and the Islanders, the Islanders and the Devils. And a few hours in, when it was pretty quiet on the front. I think when Friedman or Chris Johnston was like, uh, Goudreau's camp has reached out to Columbus to see if there's any interest. They're trying to, you know, expand the market, try to get the number up. It was something like that. And then a, a few hours after that, after, you know, it's like he ends up in Columbus. It kind of, in a, in a way, obviously Columbus came out the big winner after all that. But in a way, it shines poorly on them in that it gives the impression they'd never even reached out to him before. That that Gaudreau or his agent was like, hey, Columbus, are you interested in Johnny Gaudreau, 115-point scorer? And they're like, oh, now that you mention it, it might be nice. To- yeah, yeah. Oh, he was available? Oh, that's crazy. Hey, hey team, everyone, let, let's talk about Johnny Gaudreau now. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, honestly, in seeing like Gaudreau in interviews, things like that, it, it kind of starts to put this into perspective a little more because he feels so much like the type of person who would make a life altering decision on a whim, just like this, which I think is part of the reason why there weren't really any rumblings like, Oh, Gaudreau's unhappy in Calgary. He's leaving Calgary for sure. Even though his actions after the fact made it seem like, Oh, he was never, there was no chance he was ever going to go back to Calgary because they offered him eight by 10 and a half. And he said, uh, no, thanks. I'm leaving, going to the East coast family decision. Uh, and there was, there were no whispers about that, which leads the only possible thing could be the season ended. Oh, look, it's like July 9th. I'm going to free agency in four days. Let me sit down with my partner and talk about this like right now and decide that, eh, now we're not going back to Calgary. And that's why no one had heard about it because he had barely even thought about it. And then he's, you know, talking to certain teams, all oh, Devils, Islanders, Blue Jackets. Hey, I, I uh, was like, I was teammates with, some of these guys, but I think like Boone Jenner or Zach Wierenski, they played uh, like on the world championships and Zach Wierenski was like, come to Columbus. It's great. And Johnny Gaudreau was like, okay, sounds good. I like the vibe of the city or whatever. I like Patrick Line. So, so here I come <laughs> just like that. Yeah. It really does feel like that. Um, doesn't feel like he had it thought out. I don't know if he had completely confirmed that he was going to leave Calgary. <laughs> up until this last moment um it really does feel like like you know if you listen to like how brad Treliving was talking uh, and that whole organization it seems like they were really blindsided by him you know and walking at the end of the day so i think that really goes to support that he just you know fucking couldn't make up his mind or didn't give it much thought until the very end and then decided to go <laughs> to the respect, east coast i respect the to- procrastination 
<laughs> the procrastination and then to end up in the most random fucking organization in the league um, in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, yeah, let's talk about the Blue Jackets and how their roster kind of looks. Um, yeah, it's, it's still not a very good team. Uh, they were not a good team before the offseason. They haven't done much outside of adding Goudreau other than, you know, we talked about signing fucking Erica Branson for four years at $4 million. That's about it. Uh, this is a team that's rebuilding. They're really, you know, leaning hard into... You know, like players like Cole Sillinger, who had a good debut last year, um, kind of, kind of stepping up. And in the meantime, I mean, like, who, who's Johnny? Like, is Gaudreau gonna play with Sillinger right off the bat? Otherwise, is it like fucking? I guess it's Boone Jenner or some shit. Like, that's who's gonna who's his number at, one center over there? Is it like Jack Roslovic? Top line center. We're looking at either Jack Roslovic or Boone Jenner. That's the plan here. I imagine. I look at the Blue Jackets roster. Obviously, this was a team that. Uh, missed the playoffs by a considerable margin. Uh, I go, wow, did they have great wingers. Really, even before Gaudreau, that was his train. Gaudreau, Line A, Voracek, Bjorkstrand, Nyquist, Eric Robinson, Alexander Texier. Are you kidding me? That's that's an elite collection of wingers you got there. Center depth leaves much to be desired. Uh, the defense, I mean, there's some decent young pieces there. Obviously, you know, Wierenski is great, even though he's expensive now. Um, but they were one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL this year in terms of raw amount of goals against, if I recall correctly. Uh, and part of that is the defense in themselves. Part of that is goaltending, which was so-so at best. Merzlikens did not have a very good season. He was a, a 907. And the only change he made to that personnel was Eric Goodbranson, who gives you a different dimension of being big and physical and he's going to hit you. And he's also the most tremendous overpayment of free agency. And he's just overall not very good. Yep, that's right. Um, I think there are other contenders for that title, you know, but certainly I don't up there. No, no contract no? was anywhere close to as bad as this one. I really don't think so. Really? You don't think, you know, Ben Sherratt? Even Nick DeLorier. I know it's low. That's just so dumb. That is just so, so dumb. That's why I had to bring Eric that contract Branson up earlier. Is, is the same term but significantly more expensive for someone who before this season where he was on the, you know, the bottom pair on Calgary where, you know, uh, Daryl, uh, Daryl Sutter's system worked to his advantage. He was, he was like, you know, fringe player getting healthy, scratched all the time, jumping around from team to team to team, getting traded for seventh round picks from Anaheim to Ottawa to Nashville. And it was like, this guy's about to be out of the league has one quasi bounce back here with the flames and gets a four by four. Yeah, but at least you can see that he had a bounce back here. Did Nick Delore have any sort of year? Like, did, what the hell did he do to deserve four years? The, the, the qualifications for bounce back year for Good Branson were played the whole time. That's <laughs> what I mean by bounce back year. He played 78 games. That's the qualification. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'll, 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 I'll take it into consideration when making my selection at the end of the day. But that doesn't change. <laughs> it's still a bad contract. It's awful. And yeah, yeah, it really does. Like the, the fact you're right, absolutely, you nailed it on the head. Um, it doesn't seem like they had a, pa- <laughs> a package prepared to kind of pitch to Gaudreau, and he fell into their lap. There is, there's no other way to put it. And Locked otherwise, it. there's, there's nothing that gives me any kind of real indication that uh, there's, there's much faith to be had in this Kekalainen rebuild because he does shit like sign Good Branson for four years. Um, and that was going to be his move of the offseason until Gaudreau's agent came a-calling. I did like the way they were trending. 
in terms of a rebuild. Are the good brands and obviously, you know, really put a sour thing into the mixture. But they've been having some great drafts lately. I do think they were trending upwards. They could get their goaltending sorted out. I do think, you know, there's a chance they're they're a playoff team pretty soon. Even with that good brands and albatross there because they have uh, an excellent pipeline. Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting rebuild. I don't see them. It doesn't have the uh, elite rebuild vibes. I gotta say, um, I don't really see how they can kind of bring the core into into contention like five years from now. Still to be seen. Still pieces to be acquired. But yeah, I did you, I forgot that Merzlikens was signed until twenty twenty seven. Oh my goodness! <laughs> At five point four million dollars. Wow. That's uh that's mm-hmm. a, he's twenty eight too. I didn't realize he was twenty eight. He was like a rookie like two years ago. It feels. Yeah. I don't I don't want to move off, off of Gaudreau quite yet. Yep. Um because I want to talk about all right, so first of all, we had the Islanders were reportedly in on it. But apparently the rumblings were Lou was like, Yeah, I'm not going higher than nine million AAV, no matter what, no way. So that was never really a true consideration for Gaudreau. I'm I, you never know with what he ended up doing, if he was like, Oh, but maybe it's great to play in the Islanders. But, you know, Lou just being a total fool being like yeah i'm not getting anywhere close to your highest offers come pick me anyway um so basically the islanders after missing out on him did uh nothing i think literally nothing they just kind of stood there um so way to go lou (laughs) i guess the flyers though uh the other one everyone's dunking on because you know he grew up cheering for the flyers or whatever it should have been a slam dunk he was like wanted to go there but they were like oh we have uh we don't have enough cap space. We would have had to deal out two contracts. This is what Chuck Fletcher said. And it would have been difficult. And everyone was like, "Would have been what kind of Jim Benning-ass quote is this? <laughs> oh, it would have been hard. So we didn't try. <laughs> you know, uh, we would have had to give up like a second and a third to get rid of James Van Riemsdyk's deal to make room for Johnny Gaudreau. So it wasn't going to happen. Meanwhile, of course, the same guy who acquired Tony D'Angelo about a week ago extended Erasmus to line in not too long back, get rid of those, both those players, but we got plenty of room, plenty of room for Johnny Gaudreau. Instead, uh, oh, look, we're close to the cap, and it would be too hard to make any changes. Oh, God, that's insane. If he's willing to take 9.8 in, like, Columbus, you'd imagine he'd probably be willing to go even lower for Philly. And... Yeah, it's just lazy. <laughs> Chuck Fletcher is just a lazy fuck. Um, or maybe he recognizes that whatever he does, like everything he touches turns to shit. Um, and, you <laughs> and so that's why he doesn't want to make any moves. But yeah, he, you had the opportunity to land like a franchise winger. Top line guy, you know, top winger in this league. Uh, and uh, you passed it up. Didn't feel like shedding cap, apparently. Yep. And uh, Calgary... Uh, it's, uh, they were shell-shocked, as we are kind of saying. And so they proceeded to, after learning that they lost Johnny Gaudreau, uh, to replace him by uh, bringing back Trevor Lewis for 800 k and signing Kevin Rooney to 2 by one3 This was like one of the first deals to break afternoon. It was like 12-01, Jack Campbell to the Oilers, Claude Giroux to Ottawa, you know, he's the bit we all knew was coming. Like four minutes later, it was like, oh, Kevin Rooney to the Flames, 2 <laughs> by one3 I was like, why? You look at the long list of UFAs. Like, Kevin, he, that's the one. That's the one we got to get. We lost Johnny Gaudreau yesterday. Let's bring in this mediocre four-liner for $1.3 million. That's right. Like day day one priority, Kevin Rooney. Um, but yeah, for, for the Flames, they are in a rough spot now. 
Uh, obviously, good losing Goudreau is a massive hole. Top line winger, who's gonna replace him? They don't really have that guy. Obviously, they have the cap space that he left behind. Um, but you know, you have Elias Lindholm, who's who's locked in for a couple more years. Um, you have Matthew Kachuk, who we can get into his you know RFA negotiations in a second. Um, and you know, is there really a top line caliber player that's kind of left? I would argue, like, who would it be? Like, I don't. I to Foley. Is it to Foley? Like, is to Foley gonna slot in? Um, like, fucking. I mean, that's that's what the top line is as it stands. Kachuk, Lindholm, to Foley. Like, yeah, okay. that's your, that's your best option. Yeah, I mean, I guess. you're probably you're probably asking too much from Toffoli at that point. And so, for a team that was, you know, looked like like I picked them to win the cup at a certain point last year, um, really looked like they were they were hitting contender status. Uh, it seems to have fallen apart so, so fast because it's still a good roster, um, but they lost a massive piece at the top in that, you know, they, they can't recover it. There's there's no way to replace it at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, with Kachuk right now, it was just a few hours ago announced that Calgary filed for a club-elected arbitration, which um, I got to be honest, I don't I don't totally understand. But either way, I'm pretty sure it does mean Gachuk will be back on the Flames at least next year. Um, I'd be shocked if that didn't happen if he were traded or anything like that. So for the sake of like projecting the roster, projecting cap hit, that doesn't affect very much. And even after Kachuk's number comes in, uh, and Manjapani, Shillington, also RFAs to sign. After all that, you know, comes down. The eighteen and a half or so million dollars they currently have in cap space is gonna be pretty much uh all dwindle down to maybe a, a couple million. Uh which would make it harder for them if Nazem Kadri did accept their reported like eight by nine million dollar or sorry, seven by nine million dollar offer. But I don't think that's gonna happen anyway, because Kadri has nixed a trade to Calgary in the past and has also not signed with them yet, despite the fact that uh they're pretty much the only team that's been reported to be heavily in hot pursuit of him. So I don't think Kadri's ending up there. Yeah, he's probably doing them a favor too, de- de- declining that offer. Um, I know True <laughs> Living said, oh, we're going to be careful, uh, cautious. We don't want to panic. Um, you know, once he, he this was his uh, post-Gadrow press conference. Um, but it sure seems like they did just that by offering this fucking, what is he, 32-year-old guy, like $9 million after one spectacular season seems pretty ill-advised. Um, so, you know, did him a favor there. Kadri did, but yeah, there there's, you're right on the, the cap situation. Isn't rosy, uh, with the Kachuk. It seems like, you know, there, this is this whole club elected arbitration. It's, it's a ploy to buy more negotiation time is what it is. And he can't right now currently for the next week, accept his qualifying offer. Um, so he's kind of forced to be at the table, which is the deal, I guess. Um, but even then there's uh. no guarantee that he'll, he'll, uh, Stay past next year. He can just wait until the arbiter gives his ruling and take that money and walk right into UFA. Um, so yeah, the, the, they really got to get that wait, done. Does, does one year bring him to UFA? I don't think so. I let's see. Um, yeah, hmm. yeah, he's only he's twenty four, and he entered the league like right after the draft. I think he's two years away. Okay, all right. So well, you know. He can still accept a couple qualifying offers, $9 million for two years. And yeah. uh, he's in there. He, is, he can still do that. Um, and yeah, you got to wonder though, because they didn't negotiate with Gaudreau all year. Um, you got to wonder if they should have had this done earlier. It sounds like they made like a last ditch effort. Like what they offered like $12 million or some shit like that. Like something crazy. 
Um, to Gaudreau? Yeah, to Gaudreau. That's I think it was Pierre Lebrun who rewarded that. Twelve? Um, yeah, they offered. I thought, it, offered. I thought eight by ten and a half was the highest. Anyways, that's the that's the number I saw. Um, but yeah, they they it seems like <laughs> they waited till too late because we just talked about Gaudreau, who seems like he did this on a whim. They didn't tell Calgary that he was going to leave until the very last moment. Um, yeah, they seems like they should have done got gotten this done last off season if they if they knew just how integral he was to his roster their roster. Yeah. The other theory, of course, is Eric Goodbranson signed with Columbus, and Johnny Gaudreau said, "Well, I gotta follow him from Calgary to Columbus. I gotta because uh, he was the key to our success." Yes, I like I like the uh, Gaudreau Goodbranson bestie narrative. That's, uh, of course, that's what we're buying uh, into. <laughs> good. Uh, speaking of a uh, bad defenseman who signed for four point something million dollars Hey-o. with teams that are in the Eastern Conference, but used to be in the West. Ben Sherratt, <laughs> signed with the Red Wings, uh, was one of uh, six for sure NHLers, or at least for sure going to play in the NHL for the Red Wings, um, who signed within the first two days of free agency. They were the busiest team, and it's it's a mixed bag. Let's put it that way. Ben Sherratt, Andrew Kopp, Oli Mata, Dominic Kubelik, David Perron, Mark Pissick. The makeup of the Red Wings will be uh, quite different next year than it was last, uh, for better and for worse. Well, where do you want to start? Which Any of these players stick out to you? Let's start with a banger. Let's start with Ben Sherrod. Uh, we made a living ragging on this guy for what, being We don't whor- get paid for this. What are you talking about? You're absolutely right. While we have we have spent too much time, too much unpaid time on this podcast, uh, you know, talking about just how bad this guy is, and he doesn't bring anything. He is a complete liability, and teams continue to overvalue him. Whether it's Montreal, whether it's Florida, giving up a first round pick for him, uh, for him to do jack shit in the playoffs, and now for Detroit, who I don't understand, but almost offered him five million dollars over four years. What do you see in this guy? I don't get it. Well, I do know what they see in this guy. He's big and he hits and he does the illegal cross check in front of the net. But man, we just saw him come off like a three-year contract that like a lot, like we were just kind of holding our noses at and just, you know, it was, it was a disgusting contract. And now they kind of re-upped him for four years. They're going to pay this guy till he's 35. It's insane for Detroit. That's going to hamper them. If everything comes together, this is the kind of shit. Like, best case scenario, your rebuild works out. Your star players need to get paid after their, you know, ELCs. And then and then what happens? You got these fucking boat anchors that kind of hold that back. We saw that with, like, Vancouver, for example, um, where he just continually kept signing bad contracts. Um, but you keep doing this. It's going to add up. It's going to bite you in the ass. Yeah, this... Uh... I I even some people are floating like oh maybe it was Julian Breezeball the whole time who was making Steve Eiserman look good in Tampa Bay, type of things. And you know we not like a week or two ago we went on a little discussion about I'm I'm not sold on this Eiser planned thing. What's the what's the deal here? When's Detroit gonna get good? And you know I look at what they did in free agency. Uh, I think the forwards, I. You get an A. Uh, Kubelik especially and David Braun, well done. Those are some nice value deals. Kubelik especially. Um, only two years each. There's uh, not really a downside to them. They don't work out. They're short. Andrew Kopp, I'm, uh, you know, a little afraid of that one. Um, 
and I think there's a lot of recency bias there with how good he was in New York. Um, but I don't really see a massive bust potential with that one like I do with Ben Sherrod. And with the Ben Sherrod, it's not even a bust potential. It's unless he miraculously gets much better, this is a disaster. He was bad when he played in the top pair in Montreal. He was bad when he did it in Florida. And even when he went down to the second pair in Florida, like those lower minutes wasn't better. He just doesn't have the skill set to be successful. Uh, He's uh, only big and strong and scores a goal every now and then with a hard shot. That's it. And if they're planning on tying him around Moritz Sider's ankles and making Moritz Sider drag him around the ice on the top pairing, then perhaps there's a bit of a sophomore slump in his future. I think Ole Mata would make much more sense next to Moritz Sider. He's he's not great, but he is the best left-shot defenseman Detroit has now. And he's strong defensively, at least, which can't be said for Ben Chirot. So, you know, you have someone who's, you know, pretty reliable. It gives Moritz Sider a little more freedom to kind of go crazy offensively, kind of similar to the Quinn Hughes-Chris Tanev dynamic. Uh, back in Vancouver, that worked so well for Hughes in his rookie year. Yeah, absolutely. I like the I like the Mata signing. I think it's low risk. They have the cap space to burn, um, and yeah, I only see I only see good coming out of it. If he's terrible, if he gets even worse, you can just wait it out. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's an overall fine crop. I mean, it's a it, it is a very it's a rather old crop too. Uh, and with Cop, yeah, it's he had one good season, and you're giving him five years until he's thirty two. Uh, I think there's a there's a pretty significant risk for regression. I don't hate the contract. It's not a drastic overpay for the guy. Um, you're betting that you know that improvement was real. It wasn't just a contract year bump, which is understandable. Um, but it's still risky. But it's it's that bench right. It's just so brain dead. I do not understand. Okay, like all the other ones, they're reasonable enough. You know, whatever. They're not stupid. This is just dumb. And so it it just you know it taints the entire class of free agents for Detroit. Uh, that you know, not it would be one thing if you gave him a shot, you gave him a year, two million dollars, whatever. No, you gave him, you made a commitment, you committed nineteen million dollars your cash base to Ben fucking Sherat. That makes no sense whatsoever, and it makes me question your entire team building and talent evaluation philosophy. Uh, with this kind of nonsense, it makes no damn sense. I look at the forwards for Detroit, and I'm like, hey, look, they're pretty good. And I look at the defense, and I'm like, they are not getting anywhere close to the playoffs with Ben Sherat. Jordan Osterley, Gustav Lindstrom are all listed in the tops as on cap for there. Mark Pissick should be there though. Mark Pissick, that was a good one. That was an excellent signing. I'm gonna shout out 850k just for one year. That is an excellent bottom pairing defenseman. Well done. Well done on that one. Good stuff. So yeah, that's that's all I kind of have to say on uh, Detroit. We can do a little tour of the Atlantic if we wish, um, because it was a a pretty active division. Um, where would you yeah. like to start? Um, well, because everyone, you know, a lot of the discussion is like, oh, Detroit got better, allegedly. Ottawa got better. Uh, you know, Montreal didn't, obviously. But, oh, is Buffalo going to take a step? Boston still, Bergeron and Craigie are, like, up in the air, plus all their injuries. Is someone like Detroit or Ottawa going to overtake Boston and make the playoffs. That's kind of the, the I guess where the allure comes from at this point. Let let's let's start at the the bottom and work our way up. I guess we already talked about Montreal a bit, obviously. Who is my early prediction for last? Buffalo second last. I'm pretty firmly confident in that. If they 
do indeed head into the season with this Eric Comrie, Craig Anderson goaltending tandem. I don't know if you caught that signing. Buffalo signed Eric Comrie, <laughs> and I look at the depth chart, and it's pretty obvious they want him to be their starting goalie. Oh, no. <laughs> Yikes. Jesus Christ. Where was he last? Was he in Was he in Winnipeg? Yeah, he was in Winnipeg. He, he had a very good season as the backup, and I saw today uh, that he was like 30 minutes of ice time short of staying in RFA, but he became a UFA group six. So, and uh, he had the open market sign with Buffalo. He was a nine twenty this year. First time in his entire career. He was anywhere close to that in the NHL. And it was just 19 games. And for Buffalo, I said, uh, sure, let's roll the dice on an, on a Comrie and 41 year old Craig Anderson tandem. Yeah. Seems like a Buffalo thing to do. Um, and just, just, Absolutely atrocious uh, goalie pairing. Not much to see in Buffalo either, eh? Just I just expect more of the same um, from them. Uh, yeah, let's continue up the ladder. I assume your next team will be Detroit. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, if, if we are climbing up the standings, yeah, I yeah. do definitely have Detroit uh, number six. And, and I have Ottawa number five. Ah. I, uh, I do not think Ottawa is passing the Bruins. Not just because I think Bergeron and Craigie will both end up back in Boston. Uh, and that's gonna make a big difference, but Ottawa. It feels like the it feels like every year, you know, it's it was it's been New Jersey several times in recent memory, and I kind of fell for it. it. Was like, oh, what a great off season! Look at all these additions they made. These great players. They're gonna take a big step forward and make the playoffs. And for Ottawa, a big step forward may even be taken, and they still won't make the playoffs. Um, you know, Debrinket. Obviously, we talked about how great a deal that was. Claude Giroux, another top line winger. They have a top six. That legitimately looks very good at this point. Um, and I look at the rest of their lineup, their defense that looks the exact same with, you know, Nikita Zaitsev or Travis Hamanick on the top pairing. I I look at their, you know, their bottom six, especially their fourth line. I think, I mean, there's still a chance that, you know, there are still some decent UFAs available that could potentially, you know, make their forward group a little bit deeper. I look at their goalies. I'm I'm st- I'm not totally a Cam Talbot believer. He's getting streakier and streakier as his career goes on. And Anton Forsberg has had you know just half a good season is basically it. Um, I still see too many question marks on this. For even though you know yeah great you acquired two top line wingers, that's awesome. You're gonna probably score more. I see the same problems though in the lineup that are that are the reasons they finished near the bottom of the standing so often recently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to tip your hat. Dorian made some great upgrades to this roster, right? And yeah, that top six now, that is a bona fide playoff caliber top six. You know, that's a damn good group. They they locked up Josh Norris to, to what was it, like eight years, $8 million. That's a bit much. The, per, the yeah. slightly higher than Nick Suzuki on purpose to say that he's better than Nick Suzuki contract. <laughs> of course. Uh, that's probably a bit rich for Josh Norris at this point. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't have the, really the upside perhaps to justify that right now, but whatever you got him locked down you have most of your core locked down. Perhaps Brady Kachuk is also a bit too expensive. Um, but you know, your, your young players are locked, you're locked in except for the obviously. Um, and so, so that's good, right? They have Batherson, uh, for what, like five more years. They also have Shabbat for like five more. Um, so, you know, quality work, but yeah, the problem is the defense stinks. All right. It's a piece of ass. And it will drag them out of the playoffs. There's nothing more to there's nothing more to it. Okay. Um, there's Thomas Shabbat, 
and a bunch of bums and question marks. Um, like who's gonna play with Shabbat this year? Fucking Travis Hamanick. And you know, also uh, elsewhere, you have yeah, you have Zaitsev, you have Eric Branstrom, who you know, we'll see if he can kind of take that step forward from like promising prospect into actual NHLer. Uh, and like fucking, you got Zub, Nick Holden. This stinks. This is not a playoff Here's defense caliber. Yeah, the what that Jake Sanderson's I do think will make the NHL this year. That's a piece that could you know be of value. Obviously, a rookie, you don't want to put all your eggs into that basket. And the other thing is they were. Like the one team that was being talked about. Oh, Ottawa's got their eye on Chikrin. Talking to Arizona about Chikrin. And it's been very quiet on that front the last few days. But if, you know, if they do acquire Chikrin and, oh, I don't know, Zaitsev happens to go the other way, uh, alongside many other things, of course, then all of a sudden, you know, maybe I start rethinking this fifth place prediction because uh, just, you know, that one piece, should they acquire him, would make a big... Or even like even like Klingberg, who's still on the open market. Ottawa should absolutely be looking at him. Um, I'm not. Do they still have uh, the cap room? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they do. They have they have a couple like, you know, Formanton, Matthew Joseph, Eric Branch, Marshall RFAs. you got room for Klingberg easily, and he would be far and away your best right-shot defenseman. That's someone Ottawa should be looking looking yeah. to, to make a run at. 100%. And, and since we you thought you mentioned Chikrin, that trademark has been cold, so you know perhaps you can you can bend them to your will and uh, get a bargain. It you know what? I think you texted me this question a, a while ago. Uh, was was you know was is you <laughs> does all of this shit happen if Eugene Melnick uh, is uh, still alive? It seems like Pierre Dorian is a different fucking man. He's out here balling and spending a shit ton of money. Hats off to him. Yep. You know, it really goes to show because, you know, some people are, you know, giving props to Anna and Olivia Melnick. Um, to, to be fair to them, I don't think they have much to do with it besides the fact that they are not interfering, letting Pierre Dorian do his job. And we can see him within just a few months, it's paying dividends. Excellent move after excellent move. Yeah, absolutely. He was, it is clear. Eugene Melnick was an absolute liability as an owner. And uh, who knows? Maybe Pierre Dorian's an actually uh, a pretty competent GM. He's uh, shown that this offseason, at least. And yeah, I think I'm actually higher on the goaltending tandem than, than you are. I think that, you know, you could make the playoffs with his tandem if the roster in front of them was good. But the thing is, the defense just isn't. So, you know, I, I don't pick them to go to the playoffs either. But if their defense was, you know, a good defense, Talbot and Forsberg, I'd buy that shit. Um, you know, Talbot... Has been a playoff goalie for the last little while. I understand he's old. But like Forsberg had a good season last year too. So, you know, I think the odds that one of them has at least a pretty good season, pretty high. I, w- I would bank on it. So, yeah, not bad. You know, I think it's really the defense. I guess I don't I don't hate the goalies. I was going to say I can see this going south. But that's true about well over half the goaltending tandems in the league. So, I guess I can't hate on it too much. Trying to think of a goaltending tandem, I'm like, yeah, that rocks. Both number one and number two, I'm sold. Thumbs up. Well done. And uh, none come to mind. Either. I mean, you're not too concerned about any team with Shesterkin or Vasilevsky on it, that type of thing. But, you know, you look around the whole league, where are you fully sold on the goaltending? Buffalo, not that's many. where. Yeah. Sabres. <laughs> Comrie. <laughs> that's my vibe. Um, okay. So, yeah. that's It's a, it's a send summer. Um, so... <laughs> Is there anything else you want Hashtag to say? Hashtag sense in session. <laughs> Hashtag get sends. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Boston, 
obviously a lot hinges with them on Bergeron and Krejci. Do they come back or do they retire slash Krejci goes back to Europe? Uh, it's kind of the thing. Um, so it's hard to get a gauge on them at this point. If somehow neither of them ends up coming back, I might reconsider my Ottawa behind Boston because that would be a a bad look on, on the Bruins, especially with those injuries. With Charlie Coyle, top line center, Pavel Zaka, number two. Are you kidding me? This team is not making the playoffs if if that's your situation. Actually, yeah. I, I, maybe they would. Maybe they would. They'd be in tough. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, if neither of them, even if just one of them come back, especially with the uh, if they if that's the case, the, the Sens if they want to pass the Bruins, they need to take advantage early in the season, right? Because the big thing is the injuries. Um, but I can absolutely see the Bruins taking a step back just because of the coaching change. I'm still not over it. Fucking Jim Montgomery over Bruce Cassidy. I think that might that, have that yeah. an outsized impact on this team. Like this was a team that was good. It was very you know they were up there in the. Uh, you know, in the in the conversation for the Atlantic, basically the entire regular season, kind of competing before they finally dropped into that first wild card spot. Uh, but I can see a big drop off, and I think the talent on this roster, if it's not well coached and you don't extract enough performance out of it, you can absolutely drop out of the playoffs. So yeah, it's it's risky, and I still hate that coaching change. I think number three in the division is Toronto. Um, so okay, so Matt Murray. Let's talk about this now. Let's go. Because, uh, okay, so I said to you when the, when the deal was made, Matt Murray, 25% retained, plus a third and a seventh for nothing. I said, worst move of Kyle Dubas's tenure. And it could it could turn out that, that way. Um, I'm not going to make such a bold proclamation now, though, upon thinking about it. I still I still don't like the move. I do not like the move at all. Um, especially considering... Buffalo was about to move up from 16th to 7th. That was going to be the price. And Toronto got a much worse deal than Ottawa was willing to give up just a few days before. So that doesn't look good for Dubas. In terms of the goalie itself, or himself, I suppose, um, this has been likened to what Carolina did last offseason. They had Nadelchkovic. He was coming off a, a good year, and he was an RFA. And they said, eh... We don't believe in him long term. Traded for pennies on the dollar. Let's go after Freddie Anderson, who's coming off a bad year, injuries, and Anti Ranta, who's you know injured half the time. And everyone is going, "What are you thinking? What are you doing?" And you compare it to you know who else, who was on the goalie market last year, Philip Grubauer. I think that was the biggest name. Gets a six by five point nine as a total disaster. Carolina, meanwhile, they're looking great. Even if Freddie Anderson weren't a Vesna finalist caliber goalie, you're, you're, it's a two-year deal they signed him to, and Ranta was for two years only, you know? It's a lower risk. Obviously, it could have gone badly. Both goalies could have been injured and terrible. Both goalies still could turn out to be uh, injured and terrible uh, this coming season. And that that's what brings us to Toronto. Feels like they're trying to say the same thing, you know? Jack Campbell... Darcy Kemper, these are the big names on the goalie market. They're thinking, eh, not sold on either one of these guys. We don't want to commit long-term to them. Let's commit shorter term to Matt Murray, who, you know, is coming off a bad year as well. And Ilya Samsonov, who's coming off possibly an even worse season. You know, shorter term, lower or even slightly lower, I guess, dollar amounts for goalies rather than big commitments to someone like Campbell or Kemper. That's the logic that they're running with here. Yeah, it's the logic. And it's not, you know, it's not the worst move 
I don't think yet. That's the thing. The problem with this is that it's insanely risky. And you look, you know, you look back in a year, in two years, this might very well be the worst move of Kyle Dubas's tenure. Um, it's just, it's it's such a risk to wager you're in this contending team, this team that, you know, has the skaters to win the cup. Sure, people picked it. You know, at least make a deep playoff run. Uh, and to bank it on Matt fucking Murray is insane. Like, you know, maybe it's not insane. It's just insanely risky um, for a number of reasons. First of all, this guy has not had a good season in three years. This is not like Freddie Anderson, who was, you know, a pretty reliable, good goaltender in Toronto um, before kind of injuries caught up to him. This is a, you know, so far a consistently bad goaltender, except for maybe like 20 games last year that everybody seems to be talking about. Um, but before that, we had three years of bad performance for Matt Murray and an average of 899 over three years. That's shit. Um, and that's with two different teams in Ottawa and Pittsburgh. So, you know, a track record of bad performance, but okay, fine. Maybe he, those 20 games are more indicative of his performance. You think you can, you trust his, you know, goalie development, whatever, uh, out in Toronto. Fine. But yeah, you also have the injury history uh, where uh, he played 20 games last year because he was injured to shit. Um, and so now you're putting all your eggs into that basket. If he gets injured, you have like Ilya Samsonov, um, who could not win the starter's job for his, if his life depended on it last year, uh, couldn't beat out Vitek Vanacek and had to be like, you know, swapped in and out in the playoffs. Just absolutely, this has the lowest floor out of really any of these transactions for these playoff teams. And so, yeah, for Kyle Dubas to really stake his, his whole tenure on it, it's risky. I mean, it could work out. They can be fine. Um, hell, they could be like mediocre and they'd still probably make the playoffs. It's just, you know, in the playoffs, am I relying on Matt Murray to A, be healthy, and B, be good? And if not, it's Ilya Samsonov, who just was in the playoffs and was terrible. You know, that's... It can turn out... It, it it's, it's not even that it can turn out. It is quite likely that it turns out poorly for the Leafs. Yep. Um, it's a risk for sure. I guess we can kind of leave it there on Toronto. Um, and even though they did sign Cali Yarncroke to a four-year deal as well, uh, and they're already over the cap and still haven't signed Rasmus Sandin yet. So now the word on the street is, oh, they're going to trade Kerfoot. It's the only option here. Um, but anyway, Florida didn't do that much. Except, you know, they lost Giroux. They lost Sherratt. They lost Mason Marchman. I guess that was the biggest loss from a player who was actually like on the team all of last year. Uh, they added Colin White, Rudolph Balsers, you know, tinkering around, uh, I guess, their third line or so. And they are very much up against the cap next year. I think they might be over it if they they have to like, you know, send a few players down and also put Anthony Duclair on LTIR after his uh, surgery. He'll be out like the expected return mid-season was the report from like the official Florida Panthers account. So um, they are coming back with a more or less similar team than last year. And of course, they have tendency to find these diamonds in the rough at forward like Marchment. Sam Bennett, Carter Verhage, and help them rise from the ashes and become great players. So maybe something similar transpires with Colin White and Balsers. You never know. Former Sens. Um, okay, so let's go to uh, Tampa Bay. Pretty active. Obviously, they lost Andre Pilat, um, but uh, they signed a boatload of players to eight-year contracts, a um, bunch Yikes. of RFAs. So uh, let's let's let's. They weren't even the RFAs yet. They were a year oh. out. Okay, so you got nine years left for all of them, apparently. Uh, you have Sergachev, yeah. Sorelli, and Chernak. Uh, let's start with the, the biggest one, and perhaps the most outrageous one. Uh, eight years for Sergachev at $8.5 million for, so like first pairing money for a guy who was, 
never proven he can kind of carry that load on this team. Are you kidding me with this deal? This <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. And it honestly, it kind of shatters any illusions we had about, you know, oh, Tampa, they've got that take less money culture because Hedman's got, you know, under eight and Kucherov's nine and a half and points at nine and a half and Stamkos is eight and a half and no one's getting more than that. And all of a sudden, Mikhail Sergachev, I sure, initial ask, I want eight and a half. Really, you were so, you just couldn't wait. You have an entire year before he even is an RFA. You couldn't just sit back a second and say, chill, Mikhail. Let's try to get that number down. This is a defenseman who has won two Stanley Cubs with you playing on the third pairing behind Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough, who you just traded away. He has been a an awesome third pairing defenseman for you. And obviously, you know, it's like a left of it. It's a strength. We got, you know, a great defenseman, all those pairings, Hedman, McDonough, Serge, sure. All right, and now he's playing on the second pairing for the first time in his entire career. Let's see how he does at an $8.5 million cap it year after this one where he's at, at 4.8. You just, just like that, first day you're able to sign him to a deal, give him more than Victor Hedman. Are you, are you, are you out of your mind? What are you, what's the plan here? What do you think? And he's, he's not even that good. He's like an average defenseman. Like, what does he do exceptionally well? Sure, he was a high pick, traded Druen for him. He he's he's solid. He's I would have been honestly, I wouldn't have liked to go over like six for him, honestly. Eight and a half, just boom, day one, just like that. Ridiculous. Honestly, maybe after Good Branson and Sherratt, third worst deal signed of the day. <laughs> no, I don't think that's hyperbole. Um, it's certainly up there because yeah, he's given zero indication that he's worth this money absolutely none you're like you're speculating it's pure speculation he is a good to great third pairing defenseman so far and yeah he's got you know the the blue chip prospect all over him but that was seven years ago when he was drafted and he has since shown you no first pairing performance and he might moving forward um but that's a maybe and you already committed eight and a half million dollars to him so at at best He's a stud, and he lives up to this contract, and that's at best. There is no possibility, there is no realm in which this is, becomes a bargain, um, and in all likelihood, it will be an overpayment, because uh, you know odds are this guy doesn't become a star just in general, right? You know he doesn't have the traits. Most people don't become superstars, um, and he hasn't shown you anything that kind of indicates that. The Sorelli one is the only one I think makes total sense, because I'm a big Sorelli fan. I think I've talked about him, like six, six and a quarter. He is, you know, probably going to be a Selkie nominee pretty soon, whatever, after he pays his dues and whatnot, but he, he'll deserve it. Uh, second line center, very often uh, during, I think both their Stanley Cup runs, when Stamkos is playing center, sometimes he gets knocked down to the third line, but he doesn't belong there. He's uh Sean Couturier light or whatever. Six and a quarter makes sense. Make that, sign that deal every day. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now that you're contending, six point two five. It's you could be getting into bargain territory if you can, you know, if you continue to play at this level and perhaps even take a step up. He's twenty five, right? And it's going to take him till he's thirty three. His style of game, you know, two way forward, kind of really shut it down. It ages pretty well. So I, I, I think it's a good to great rate. Six point two five million dollars. That's very reasonable for Anthony Sorelli. Uh, that brings us to the other defenseman. Uh, that they signed, they signed Eric Chernak to eight years, five point two million dollars. Yeah, that's 
you know, he's probably not the style of defenseman that you want to give eight years to uh, and sign till he's 34 at this cap hit. Um, he's fine. He's a good shutdown kind of guy, uh, but it still feels like too long for a guy who plays a very physical style and is 26 years old. Yeah, with all these deals, it feels like Breezeball made the mistake of making it his priority to get these deals done as fast as possible. And that was it. That was the, it wasn't, you know, getting a good deal. It was getting a deal done quick, um, which is a, a bad idea for obvious reasons. And I mean, you know, this really one, maybe, you know, you want to get all three out of them, but all of them like out in bulk. Don't do it. This really one makes sense. Sign that one. Negotiate with the other ones. Get the number down. You have 11 and a half months. And then he gets, you know, it becomes an RFA. You still have more time. You think they're going to get offer sheeted? Unlikely. Very few players get offer sheeted. Um, this just seemed like it was unnecessarily rushed. And the Sergachev deal, especially, and the Chernak deal to a lesser extent, could uh, become burdens. Yeah, absolutely. They had all the leverage in the world. They had all the time in the world. Uh, especially on Sergachev. Man, like, what's the worst case scenario? He balls out. He has a great season. And you give, this, you give him this exact contract next year? Like, he can't ask for more. There's no realm in which he has a great season ask for $10 million over eight years. That's absurd. Um, I, You know, this is like the max. If he had a great season, I could see him asking for like $9 million. Um, and so at this point... And then you can still his, say no and give him less. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, and so to give it now, this makes no sense. He's, he's shown you nothing. That's insane. It's speculation. That's the word that comes to mind for me. Yep. Um... I guess we could have gone about this in a different order because I wanted to transition from Toronto to Jack Campbell. Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, well, I guess that was enough of a transition. Jack Campbell uh, went to the Oilers, who also signed Brett Kulak, extended him. Um, and I've talked about, you know, being a Jack Campbell fan in terms of the, I believe in him as a starting goalie, even though he, you know, really struggled in the back half of this season. Five by five, 30 years old. I'm obviously, you know, that's that's a risk for any team. Could go south. I believe it could go well, but I believe it less with the Oilers. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, you know, the way the way the Oilers play in general, and I've played defense for the past 15 years, I go, if there's any team behind which Jack Campbell may struggle, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. So for him, it's, it's risky. He might fall off a cliff. Um, behind that defense and that style of play, or just you know, honestly, the lack of talent on that roster, besides McDavid and Drysaitel, right, um, is what it is. You might as well go to a bad team if you look at the defense in front of him. Uh, but yeah, good for him. He secured the bag. This is his first like big money contract, really. Uh, and for the Oilers, you got your goalie. Um, I think it's the contract is fine. It's it's okay. It's not an overpay. I don't think it's just it's reasonable. He was like the top goal, second best goalie on the market, and you know. What what does this leave him like sixteenth or something or somewhere around there highest goalie highest paid goalie? Yeah, sure, sounds about right. Yeah, uh, Darcy Kemper was the other one, obviously, uh, similar tier, signed for slightly more than Campbell. Makes sense, uh, you know, coming off a Stanley Cup and like a nine twenty something regular season. The the only obviously he had that that eye injury in the playoffs and he was never quite the same after that. But Washington. Apparently did their due diligence. They just wanted to, you know, wash their hands of both Vanacek and Samsonov in any manner possible. Bring in Darcy Kemper, bring in the amazing Charlie Lindgren, 
to back him up on a three-year deal, 1.1 million AAV. Uh, I believe in Charlie Lindgren. I think that's going to work out great. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, he had a great season in, in the AHL, so he kind of earned that contract there. Uh, that's a that's three years, but still pretty like very very low risk because of the uh, the AAV is about a million dollars. You could bury that, and it costs you three hundred mm-hmm. grand. No biggie uh, for Washington. Not bad, and for Kemper, uh, well for for that Kemper contract, yeah, that's good for them. That's great. Top top goalie in the market for only for under five and a half million dollars. Uh, that's you know obviously the, there's risk with that age is the big thing, but for right now the caliber of goalie that Darcy Kemper is and had as a regular, you know, in that large sample size, that was that regular season. And even beyond that, I think it's a good contract. And I think if he's shit, he's an anchor in five years, I don't think they care because this, <laughs> they won't be anywhere in five years anyways. So I, I, I like it a lot for Darcy Kemper and for the Capitals. And also they brought in Connor Brown for, for a second round pick. That's a, that's a nice addition. Um, pretty reasonable price for like a guy who can play well on your second line. If every move Washington makes, I'm like, all right, does this increase the odds that Alex Ovechkin will break Wayne Gretzky's goals record? If yes, it's a good move. And sometimes it's hard to make those correlations. Uh, but, you know, Darcy Kemper, having a good goalie probably makes it more likely than a bad goalie. So, thumbs up. <laughs> good stuff. Um, we're on this vibes train. All right. So, okay, so I have a question for you. Like, if you're Toronto... You're the GM. You're Kyle Dubas. What would you have done? Would you have gone after Campbell at the price that he got, or even Kemper? What are your thoughts there? I uh, I would have believed in Jack Campbell, um, unless there's some kind of injury thing behind the scenes that we don't totally know about. I would have given Campbell the five by five, uh, and said, you know, for most of your tenure here, you've been exceptional. You know, a little blip on the radar over the past of the two months or so but that's who i would have committed to rather than what they did yeah fair enough i think either of them would have been good kemper or or campbell i think if they had chased kemper and and handed him like what five by five and a half sure i'll bid about washington by 250k i think that's like a solid goaltending option at a solid rate because if you look at you know other goalie other goalies who are about his caliber they're all paid above him he had a great regular season and what he's like the 13th best the 13th highest paid goalie right now. And so that's that, that's a perfectly reasonable contract they could have handed him um, despite his age. Like, I think it's, you're, you're going for it now. Um, and, and Campbell obviously is even younger and that was a fine contract too. So I think you could have absolutely mitigated your risk and not have had to put all your fucking eggs in the Matt Murray basket. With the, the Capitals, um, they, they were, they've been a very interesting team in free agency. Because, well, also, you know, first they, they acquired Connor Brown, brought back Marcus Johansson, signed Dylan Strom, signed Henrik Borgstrom, who at this point is like a fringe player, did not have a good year with Chicago at all. And I'm like, looking at their depth chart, like, they have so many players. And then I realized, looked at their injured reserve, Nicholas Backstrom, duration unknown. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the injury is, but I know he's out long term. Tom Wilson, ACL, out six months. Carl Haglin, eye injury, according to Cat Friendly. Uh, expected duration unknown. So that's why they're bringing in so many of these players. Kuznetsov, top-line center now, not Backstrom anymore. And Dylan Strom, very good chance he becomes the second-line center. In fact, I don't really see anyone else who, uh, unless Connor McMichael really explodes. But uh, yeah, so these are the pieces that they're bringing in to more or less replace Backstrom and Wilson for a big chunk of the season is Strom, Connor Brown, 
Uh, yeah, Strowman, Connor Brown. Yeah, I think they're downgrades over the guys on on IR, but I think all things considering, they they brought them in for good rates, very low risk contracts. Um, especially Strom, that's 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 great. You love that uh, three and a half million dollars, and he'll be an RFA at the end of it. Uh, so yeah, pretty pretty neat work. I mean, at this point, this is the Alex Ovechkin team. This is, you know, an you know eighth, seventh place, sixth place kind of team in the conference, uh, and. The roster kind of fits that at this point. This is this is not a team that's going to contend at all. Yep. Um, did you realize TJ Oshie's 35? No, that's absurd. <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, um, so Dylan Strom, did we have a chance to talk last week about the RFA Chicago didn't qualify? We did, yes. I, I believe so. Strom and Kubelik. Um, we're talking about how insane yes. they were. That was the whole ragging on Chicago bit. Yes, uh, obviously Strom ends up in Washington, Kubelik in Detroit, and Chicago uh, made two notable deals. Um, actually, th- three. I want to talk about three of them. Um, first, Max Domi, Andreas Athanasiu, both come in for one year, uh, $3 million each. This feels like Chicago going, we have enough cap space. Sure, come on in so that we can retain half and flip you at the deadline after playing you on our power play a team which is something that most teams would not be very well advised to do. So expect to see both of those players in Chicago's top six all the time. And the other one I want to talk about is Alex Stalock because it seems pretty clear to me that after a season of uh, 17 games played in the AHL with an approximately 870 save percentage, uh, Chicago is making Alex Stalock their backup goalie to Peter Mrazek, and that will be their tank tandem. Yeah, they're committed to the bit. They're committed to the tank, and uh, Athanasiu and Domi are, are clear, yeah, as you said, it flip pieces. Uh, and yeah, they're like $3 million for a year. That's it. And then you, you, you divide it in two, and then you know you, you say, okay, well, now what's a prorated cap by the, by the trade deadline? Teams will be able to fit him in for $1.5 million. Um, and you can probably get like a third round pick or whatever the fuck. Uh, and yeah, this team stinks. There's barely any NHL talent at all. And uh, this is going to be the worst team in the NHL. That's uh, bar none. Definitely a good chance of that. Unless Peter Morazic gets good again. Um, let's pivot very hard to, I think, the most fun part, which is uh, of the most of a free agency day which was everything involving the Carolina Hurricanes. Because I think they were the absolute number one winners of the day. I don't care that Columbus got Gaudreau, because Carolina, without even signing any notable free agents, except Andre Kasha, that was a very nice pickup. Um, they won the day with two trades. First one, of course, and they both kind of flew under the radar somehow. There was the Brent Burns one. That was, you know... Around 12, I think it was like, oh, hearing Brent Burns getting traded to Carolina, details to follow type thing. And then we heard silence for like 45 minutes. And in my head, I'm like, oh, is this falling through? And then it didn't. It happened. And I was like, oh, is Carolina going to, you know, give up too much because he's won Norris trophies or whatever? Not the case at all. Carolina won the deal outright. Uh, they got back Lane Peterson as well and gave up Stephen Lorenz. Kind of a wash with Lane Peterson, more or less. Gave up E2 Mackiniemi, pretty decent goalie prospect. 
and a third round pick. And in exchange for this, you know, team that's chasing a cup, Carolina is, uh, they get a top pairing defenseman for 5.28 against the cap because San Jose retained 33%. So you look at this as more or less the D'Angelo replacement. Burns is an upgrade on D'Angelo, in my opinion, for sure, in the you know immediate term, for getting a very slightly higher AAV than D'Angelo ended up getting with the Flyers. And you got back a second, third, and fourth for D'Angelo. You gave up a fourth liner, uh, like B-level prospect, and a third rounder for Burns. It's an excellent piece of work. Yeah, absolutely. A+. plus. Uh, and for Brett Burns, I mean, you know, he was in a bad situation with San Jose and that he had no talent uh, and really didn't have a great partner to play with in Carolina. I think it'll be great for him. I think you can really stabilize, you can stabilize him with a, with a defense partner. Uh, like perhaps, you know, if you put him on the top pair, you put him with Slavin uh, and yep. you can really allow him to reach his offensive potential um, because yeah, that's what he is at this point, right? He's an offensive guy uh, and that's most of what he's going to bring to the table. Um, and you you know, you need to unlock, you need to stabilize is really the word to unlock that potential. And so I think he's a really good candidate for, for a uh, bounce back year. Now that he's in a, in a, in a good situation and yeah, basically for San Jose, this was a cap dump, right? Like they, they got a third round pick and that was basically it. Um, like a kind of fringe prospect guy. So yeah, like it's a very prospect. low cost. He's okay. It's a very low cost for Carolina to, uh, for this guy, and they got him like a third retained. So $5 million, that's perfectly reasonable for Brent Burns. Um, great work. Um, and we can look at the uh, the other tr- trade they made. Wait, wait. I want to, yeah. from the oh. Sharks' point of view on this one, because while it was good for Carolina, I also think it was bad for San Jose. Um, I, I think this was a bit of a blunder because, you know, a lot of the first thing we think of when we think of the Sharks is, you know, all the bad money they have on the books. Specifically on defense, we had thought of, you know, Carlson, Vlasic, Burns was kind of lumped into that category. And the first instinct may be, oh, great, they're starting to, you know, clear out that money. But Burns was by far, like, the the one, the least urgent one to move. Because he signed for only three more years. Vlasic signed for four. Vlasic is also a liability on the ice. Seven million AV. And Carlson signed for five more at 11 and a half. I'm not saying, you know... It would have been easy to get rid of either one of those two. But this does feel like a situation where maybe the Sharks front office is misidentifying the problem of uh, the cap crunch. Yeah. Well, he's by far the most tradable asset, right, uh, on this team. And they didn't get much for him, right, at the end of the day. Yes, exactly. And so that's very disappointing. Like, it's one thing if you can get a bunch for Brent Burns. Like, I don't have a problem with trading Brent Burns, but you did not get much. uh, And... Yeah, he was the, the the best thing that you were gonna get was was this, and then you got a third round pick for it. So, yeah, not 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 good for for the Sharks at all. And now the Sharks defense. Let's see, well, what do we have here? Uh, Eric Carlson, Mario Ferraro, Mark Edward Vlasic, Radim Shimek, Marcus Nudivara, Matthew Benning, and like Ryan Merkley. What a group! Yikes. That stinks. And uh, Vlasic and Carlson paid $18.5 million a year. What a combo. Piece of work. Okay, okay talk about the next Carolina deal now. Oh, I Let's love this do one. It. Oh, it's amazing. Ah. Mm. Do it. Okay. So uh, <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights acquire future considerations um, <laughs> in exchange for Dylan Coughlin 
and uh, the one and only Max fucking Pacioretty, who is still very fucking good, by the way. Uh, and they added a sweetener. I what? Okay. Uh, so Carolina adds, like, frankly, a borderline elite sniper for free, for free, and gets like a, a fine fourth line piece in Dylan Coughlin. You know, defenseman. So, oh, my bad. See, doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, they they get most importantly they get Max Pacioretty for free. Uh, and you know, for Vegas, obviously it's a blunder. But let's focus on Carolina here. Uh, this is a major upgrade uh, because uh, this team we, we talked about it when they got eliminated. Um, their major flaw was a lack of scoring. They could not finish. Uh, they're for all the possession that they had and that they dominated a five on five. They just couldn't put the puck in the net, and that was kind of their downfall against the Rangers. Um, and uh, Pacioretty will will do that just fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, Pacioretty right now. Best winger on the Hurricanes, I think so. Obviously, you know, maybe Svechnikov takes a big stride forward this year, but Patrick right now, I think, is the best one. And the inclusion of Dylan Coughlin in this trade is really what illustrates to me how little due diligence Vegas did. And I don't even know how that's possible when you're trading someone who was on your first line from the second he got to to Vegas. Um, You're like, you must, you know, this implies that I, either there was no other team in the entire league willing to take Max Pacioretty for nothing, or Vegas didn't ask around at all. And obviously, I think it's more likely to be the second one, because otherwise, that means Vegas is going, hey, do you want Max Pacioretty uh, for nothing? And every team goes, no. And Carolina goes, hmm, only if you also throw in another small piece. That that's asked me what, have ha- what, what, what happened. So the Vegas Golden Knights have done such a terrible job at managing their cap. There are always teams that are, you know, close to the cap and make it work and wriggle out of it, like the Lightning, most notably, of course. Vegas was looking like, you know, they were on that track. They're always, you know, going for these big money players, going after Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Alex Petrangelo, Jack Eichel. But when it comes to clearing up the cap space in trades, it seems like they just... Do they just not talk to any teams? I feel like that has to be it. They trade, you know, okay, Nate Schmidt for a third. That one kind of makes sense. Mark andre Fleury for a for a nothing prospect. Michael Hakkarainen, everyone knew, was a nothing prospect. Basically traded for nothing. Evgeny Dadnov, who they just acquired. They go, all right, uh, trading you for an LTIR player. After they had tried to, you know, trade him like with a second round to like dump him onto the Ducks. Um, now, the most egregious of them all, Max Pacioretty who was only signed for one more year, by the way. It's not like even this was a long-term commitment that was heading set. One more year of Max Pacioretty, $7 million. You go negative value asset, but in our top line, excellent winger. Uh, you know, I scored at least 20 goals, I'm almost certain. of, Or uh, he was injured, but at least a 20-goal pace, probably like a 30-goal pace. Um, very, very good goal scorer. And, you know, get rid of him for nothing so that we can bring back, moments later, Riley Smith to a three-year deal $5 million per year. This is... Okay. Riley Smith, first of all, worse than Max Pacioretty for sure. And you immediately, immediately fill up five-sevenths of the space you just gave up for free to downgrade a player. It is mind-bogglingly awful asset management from the Vegas Golden Knights. And there's no way to rationalize it. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just they. <laughs> there's no long-term vision for all the the great pieces 
that they managed to add on this roster via the you know the expansion draft and after that. Uh, yeah, they just I they need a new cap guy or something because it's only you know bad ideas that they're coming up with. They're not doing yeah their due diligence. Um, and yeah, it just seems like they I, I don't know what it like. It, it happened last year too. You talk about that flurry trade. Uh, they immediately filled it up with Evgeny fucking Dadunov, right? Um, like and like Laurent Barsois. So yeah, they make a habit of not only clearing the cap in in like a poor way, not maximizing the assets you get in return for the pieces that you're shedding, but then also filling it up with like questionable like questionable cap acquisitions, um, like Riley Smith. It's just and and like you know who are the who are the kind of RFAs that they need to like what's their cap situation right now? They're at they're at zero. I guess they're still over the cap, but mm, do they have any LTIR guys? I don't think so, right? Weber. Okay, right. Weber. Okay, so they've got like seven whatever million dollars. Um, and so another way you can look at it is like they wanted to prioritize their RFAs or whatever the fuck. So it's like, who, Nick Roy? What is like, this was a Riley Smith move. You let this, Riley Smith you, walk, yeah. this isn't a problem. Fair Absolutely. Enough. Yeah. That's, that's Either way you look at it, you are letting go of a great player to keep um, either a collection of worse RFAs or fucking Riley Smith. And for Vegas, that is uh, a head scratcher to say the least. And uh, it just, you know, this is, this, this <laughs> seems to be going downhill over there. I got to say how many teams around the league do you think are, were absolutely kicking themselves after this deal? Going, Why didn't Vegas talk to us? Why didn't we talk to Vegas? Because there's, must have been so many teams who would have loved to have Seattle. There's a there's one. They signed Burakovsky earlier that day. You think they wouldn't have been jumping all over? You know, Max Pacioretty for nothing if they knew there were, that they could have that instead, or along with, they would have loved it. Any team with enough cap space for it had Max Pacioretty for one year at seven million, I'm sure would have loved to. So and you could have started a bidding war if you really wanted to get rid of him. You probably could could have gotten you know decent futures draft picks to clear out your space. Instead, if this was a decision that seemed like it was made in like 20 minutes. Oh, we really want to bring back Riley Smith. Someone take Max Pacioretty from us. Take him up. Those burden off our hands, please. This onerous presence of Max Pacioretty. Uh, and uh, then we can make room for Riley Smith. And now at this point, how is every offseason, every GM's got to be calling Vegas all the time? Like, want to give us anyone? Anyone you want to get rid of for nothing? Call us. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, for the 20 minutes thing, really, yeah, it rings true with me. Because we didn't hear shit about you know Pacioretty being on the trade market, it just <laughs> it just kind of came across the timeline, and you're like, the fuck, for nothing, with a sweetener. Um, so yeah, it really does seem like they put it together. They got the memo. We need to clear some cap, and then uh, they picked a random player who happened to be good. So yeah, the one tradable guy because he had one year left on his contract, um, and they gave him a up for nothing. So that is a. Major L for Vegas, and this is they 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 have gone from contender, uh, and like people were writing them in very confidently at the beginning of last year to win the Pacific, to a team that seems to be losing their marbles a bit. Uh, Total joke. Managing their players, yeah. Joke team, joke team. Um, uh, what do you think about the Trocheck signing in New York? Uh, what about that one? A seven-year deal for twenty-nine-year-old Vincent Trocheck. Uh, five point six two five, very similar to the Andrew Cop AAV, if not identical, actually. Yeah, I think it's it's okay if you're the Rangers. I mean, you're replacing Cobb, they're replacing you know Ryan Strom, who's still unsigned. Um, Ryan Strom went to Anaheim. 
Oh, oh, there we go. Well, I missed that. Um, so <laughs> yeah, they need to shore. They need to shore up their centers, uh, and I think it's a bit of an overpay. I mean, committing eight years to Vincent Trocheck, who had a pretty underwhelming season, and frankly, his ceiling is not that high. I think it's. It seems like it's like you know one of those typical June, July first, July thirteenth kind of deals, um, where a team just really needed a center. Yeah, and they really liked him. Because they probably could have brought back Cop, but you know they preferred Trocheck for that AAV, which I get. Um, they did give him those extra years, a seven-year deal, and I think that term is what's scary. Sam Stern actually on Twitter was talking, about, "Oh, I don't think this is a good deal for New York," and people were like coming at Rangers fans were coming at him, and he was like, "Shut up! I don't think it's a good deal," and he was like getting <laughs> pissy about it. Um, and yeah, I, I would tend to agree that. But as a general rule of thumb, you don't want to commit seven years to a 29-year-old, especially one who is like, hopefully he'll be able to be our second-line center the whole time. Right. Exactly. That's that's <laughs> that's the best-case scenario, second-line center, um, and you're committing f- almost $6 million. Um, that's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, Rangers yeah. also, I don't know, if did you catch who they signed as their backup goalie and third stringer? No, I didn't. I, I saw the name. I just made slipped my mind. All right. So, the, I mean, their previous backup was Georgiev, who they traded. Yeah. And their previous third stringer was Keith Kincaid, who signed with the Bruins. New backup, 37-year-old Yaroslav Halak. Oh, right. And yeah. new third stringer, uh, meat eater Louis Domingue. <laughs> I missed the Domingue one. I hadn't seen that at all. Uh, but, you know, Halak's okay. That's fine as a backup. I mean, they've got Shesterkin. Yeah. He's, you know, like if 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 he gets hurt, they're boned. That's the end of the story, right? Like, Halak ain't doing shit. Um, but what what was his cap hit? Like one point one million dollars or some shit like that. Uh, one point five. Okay, well, okay, so a bit on the pricey end for like geriatric Yaroslav Halak, but <laughs> whatever. I get it. They wanted the experience. Um, at that feels position. like the Rangers. Uh, are going to the Vasilevsky Tampa slash Hellebuck Winnipeg school of our starters great. Who needs a good backup? Uh, Winnipeg signed David Riddick, by the way, to be the backup Hellebuck. <laughs> uh, Tampa, of course, they still have Brian Elliott there. Nashville, similar thing too. They they signed uh, Kevin Lankinen to backup UC Saros. Right. So they, these teams recognize if their goalies are out, either you're Tampa and you just try to tread water for a while, um, or your season's done. If you're like Winnipeg or Nashville or new york at this point so yeah and and that's fine i get it (laughs) you're already allocating a bunch of your cap to the goaltending position there's no that you know don't just upgrade your forwards at that point i'm okay with that i'm fine with that brian elliott behind behind andrew vasilevsky sure sign me up i don't see an issue also it's at that point where because i've where teams like new york winnipeg nashville just there weren't better options straight up it's not like they were like hmm Let's go after the less good backup goalies so we can spend more money elsewhere. It was just the the other goalies chose other places. Yep. And there was, was just, nothing left. Yep. The very thin goalie market. Um and we discussed yep. that at length. Um yeah, so that, that was that was top and bottom, just all over. Just not not a lot of goalies in the market. Um okay, so shall we shall we cover some of these uh you know, UFAs who are still unsigned? Um uh, the big two. We'll talk about, yep. you know, Kadri is one. I think he's going back to Colorado just because we've heard nothing out of anywhere else. Uh, after re-signing Nachushkin to that 
eight-year, six point one two five AAV uh, deal, which was uh, much too pricey for my blood. You know, it makes it tougher for them to bring back Kadri. They, you know, let Kemper walk. Obviously, let Burakovsky walk. That was the their decision. They're going, you know, lose Kemper, lose Burakovsky, keep Matushkin. Kadri is uh, still up in the air at this point. You look at what teams have the space for someone who's probably going to get in the eight to nine million dollar range. Um, Buffalo, that'd be kind of funny. Um, Calgary, of course, was after him. The Jets. Uh, I mean, these Pierre-Luc Dubois rumors flying around. So, I mean, maybe they, if they want to compete, I'm sure they would try talking to him. Um, any other teams kind of pique your interest? Not really. I mean, that's about it. I mean, like, it's either that or he goes to some, you know, no-name shit team uh, out in the bottom of the league. The Kraken would be fun. Yeah, that's that's that, that was the one I... It's, it's the Kraken. Um, but yeah, no matter who you kind of pick, it, it does feel like a trap um, for Kadri at his age uh, to commit all sorts of money to him, especially if you're a struggling team. I, You know, that seems like an anchor waiting to happen. I get it if you're Colorado, um, especially Colorado because, you know, he's familiar, but also because they're contending and he can slot into that second center role that they haven't really completely filled yet. Um, and so he's a good fit there. But elsewhere... Like what you're gonna you're gonna lean on if Seattle's gonna lean on like Nazem Kadri for the next seven years to lead their rebuild, uh, and kind of like play with Beniers and uh, and Wright as they develop. Like, you know, by the end of that seven years, you're gonna wish you didn't have that contract on your books. So absolutely, yeah, it's it, it does feel like a trap. Mm-hmm. Um, the Islanders were also kind of tossed out. I saw as like a keep an eye on Lou. He has what eleven million cap space. With uh, like Dobson as the most notable RFA, they got the space. They want to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, <laughs> man, yet another overpaid player on that roster would yeah. be something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you got uh, here all the forwards making over four million AAV. Barzal, Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, Pajot, Calfamieri, Beauvillier, with Sezikas oh, at two and a half, and Clutterbuck, Martin, and Ross Johnston, all between 1.1 and 1.8. <laughs> that is a mess. And, uh, man, I just... And Richard Panic. I just didn't see him because he's buried, he, but he's a 1.375. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, and they overpaid to acquire Alex Romanov earlier this offseason. Um, yep. This is uh, just uh, quite the team, um, and not in a good way. I think now that they don't have Barry Trotz, this is a bottom four team in the East. Maybe not. Uh, maybe maybe bottom five. Ooh, that's harsh. That's quite yeah. harsh. I think I don't know because they were one of the more seriously COVID ravaged teams as well at the start of the season, and they start they were like on the road for like thirteen games to start the year or something insane, which people speculated was like a, a part of their demise obviously losing trots doesn't help um but maybe losing chara does help and uh i i don't know if they'll bounce all the way back to the playoffs but i don't think they're like you know laughing stock like buffalo montreal levels of bad yeah i don't think they're laughing stock. they're probably a step ahead but this is a bona fide bad roster if you ask me um so you know not laughing stock but still bad um, Even with Sorokin, and, uh, yes, 
even with Sorokin. Oh, one second. My earbuds disconnected. Let me just connect that back. Uh, oh, this is riveting. Hello. Hey, your okay. earbuds are back. Yeah, we're good. Nice. Um. All right. Yeah. Even 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 with Sorokin, uh, like the best case scenario is what you Nashville your way, and in a, in a in an Eastern Conference where there's just a shortage of playoff spots, I don't think that gets you very far. I just think um, um, that with the Metro, like Carolina's the one team. I'm like, yeah, you're the best team, and it feels so open after that. I'm not really a Washington believer. I'm not really a Pittsburgh believer. I'm not really a Rangers believer. Uh, and you know, everyone else, you got you know, Devils, Columbus. No one's really a believer in them. And the Islanders, well, obviously, Philly's probably going to end up last in that division. Um, so I just I feel like it's pretty wide open there. So I have a hard time seeing them really, you know plummeting and bottoming out all right i think you know the, you're right in that the the metro at least is more competitive um but i don't have high aspirations i don't have high hopes for them um so yeah that's the islanders we can look at and that's now klingberg yeah let's look at klingberg um yeah I have, I have honestly not heard much on the john klingberg rumor train are you are you more tuned into this well i saw stuff on the 13th when okay. free agency opened yeah, I saw because the you know he had asked for a trade out of Dallas early in the year, and it was like oh you know there's pretty much confirmation he's if he's not traded he's gonna leave Dallas when he hits the open market, so everyone was kind of like okay he's gonna leave Dallas. It's like the day before the day of, and I think Friedman or someone with the, some blue check is like oh, Dallas and Klingberg are like talking again. There's a chance he goes back, and was like what really? And then next day. It's like Klingberg is not going back to Dallas. And he took like Dallas Stars number three out of his Instagram bio or something. Whew. And it's like, all right, <laughs> that pretty much closes that door. You would think. The conversation sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's all I've heard is not Dallas. So I guess we got 31 teams on the table, but Dallas <laughs> isn't one of them. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, uh, it sounds like uh, he's, from what I saw, the one thing I really saw was that he's not going to do the one-year thing. Uh, and try again next year, which I got his age, understandable. Uh, so yeah, he's we're looking at a team that's offering multi years for John Klingberg. That's uh, I, I understand being wary of it. He's still a, he's still a very good player, but you know at this stage in in UFA, I think there is a dearth of suitors. See, I don't think there should be. I look at we talked about Ottawa before as a possibility. That would most certainly fill a need. Um, and you look at teams with a decent amount of cap space who, in their heads, are trying to be competitive. And two other teams jump out to me if uh, Klingberg wants to go to Canada. One of them is uh, the Jets. You talked about how the personnel and defense has been uh, bad for several years at this point. Klingberg uh, would be a help. And they're not you know, trying to rebuild or anything. And the other one is Calgary. Uh, obviously, they have plenty of cap room after losing Gaudreau. And Klingberg would provide uh, a dimension to their, def- their uh, defense that uh, straight up isn't there. Their def- they played a lot. They weren't exactly you know generating a ton of offense. Hannafin was their top guy. Chris Tanev's a defensive stalwart. Rasmus Anderson is like, okay, those are your big guns on defense. Uh, you add Klingberg, then all of a sudden, you know, Anderson and Tanev kind of slide down the lineup into nicer positions. Nikola Maloche gets knocked to the press box, which would be quite nice. 
And uh, I think the fit in Calgary uh, is a nice one too. Of course, if both parties are interested. I didn't think he was. I man, I did not realize he was only twenty nine. I thought he was older than that. I thought he crossed thirty. Um, so nope. I, I I guess it depends on what he's looking for. I don't know what term he's looking for, other than more than one year. Um, but you know, if you give him five years, that's I could see. I could see. I could see teams making it work. Yeah, five by like five point two five or something is where I'm like where I'm comfortable. I think. Yeah, I was gonna say five, five, five and a half. That's uh, that's about the range, and I think, I think the market's pretty cool on him, and so I, th- I could absolutely see something in that range. Um, it doesn't seem like he's gonna get that big money, because uh, it seems like a team hasn't offered it to him yet. Hmm. Um, I have two more things I want to point out. Little fun side things of uh, free agency. Number one is uh, some sad news, which is that Beck Warmer's not qualified by the Hurricanes. Um, Boo. Boo, yeah. The Hurricanes will live to regret this terrible decision. I don't know why I called them the winners of free agency day when they let go of Beck Warm. ECHL 9-12 goalie in 18 games. And he still hasn't signed anywhere, so we'll, we'll keep tabs on him, see if he goes to sign in the Swiss League or something. Number two. Uh, the Sherwood brothers, Kiefer Sherwood and Cole Sherwood. Do you recognize these names? I recognize both of them. I have not kept up with what they've been up to or what teams they play for. Do you know where either of them played last year? Uh, Kiefer played in New Jersey, right? No, I don't think he ever has. (laughs) I might think of Kiefer Bellows. Kiefer Bellows is on the Islanders and always has been. Yeah, I Who's on you? I have no idea. Okay. Well, clearly I'm thinking of other people. Um, so go ahead. Anyway, Kiefer Sherwood last year played mostly in the AHL with the Colorado Eagles and had an exceptional 75 points in 57 games in that league and was up in the NHL for 11 games with the Avalanche. Meanwhile, his younger brother, Cole Sherwood, uh, was in the AHL, spent most of the year with the Milwaukee Admirals, Seven points in 31 games, also a forward, by the way, and played one NHL game with Nashville. So it's very clear that Kiefer is uh, better than his brother Cole. Both of them hit the open market. Kiefer signs in Nashville, where Cole played last year, and Cole has not signed anywhere yet. So Nashville more or less said, eh, we don't like Cole Sherwood. We'll go sign his brother to replace him instead. And now Cole is left on the outside looking in with a, with a tear streaming down his face. It's a cold world. It's a cold world. Uh, um, uh, uh, I thought this go. was funny though. Nashville was like, eh, we'll get rid of this brother and we'll <laughs> sign the other one. They're not playing it's together. Just immediate replacement. It's a good bit. Replace one or the other. Yeah, pretty funny. So there we go. The Sherwood brothers. That's the, That's your, the your name comedy of the for the day. Hilarious. It's a good bit. Shout out to the Predators for making it happen. Yep. Well done, David Poyle. Should that be your claim to fame? Um, anything else interesting that's worth pointing out? There was a lot interesting, of course. Anything else worth pointing out? Uh, nothing comes to mind. I think that's that covers basically everything that, that I had in my notes. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and anything anything we didn't cover? Um, you can probably expect us to mention it at one point or another throughout this summer as, uh, you know, 
the offseason drags on. But uh, still some dominoes left to fall. Kadri, Klingberg, um, teams over the cap who are going to have to make deals. Anaheim is still like $10 million under the cap floor, so they're going to have to get up there one way or another. Uh, yeah. And next week we'll probably also be back on like the Guess Who trivia. Uh, what's the other thing we do? Draft. Uh, but draft, yeah, rotation. <laughs> um, so thanks for listening to this week's Fusion and Hockey podcast. We'll be back a week from today, Monday, July 25th, with uh, talking about, believe it or not, ice hockey. The end.